0: And welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 101. Muchísimas gracias and thank (laughs) you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, white dudes. No, 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 no way. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist
1: allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to Pod at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media.
0: The footnote for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways you
1: can support the show and become a fruit loops patron so yeah who are we talking about today beth today we're talking about david stephen middleton an ex-cop turned serial killer he murdered at least two women and probably more (sighs) cannot wait but until then uh how you doing I'm all right. You know, uh, getting by. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, nothing to report, really. How are you doing?
0: Um, you know, uh, I will say that it is, it has been a stressful week. Yeah. Um, but it's all good. 2020 has been a raggedy ass year. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not sad to see her leave. Um, but until she does, I guess we'll just keep it moving. Keep on the, I'm the show. Yeah. <laughs> So now we're going to get into some listener lessons. <laughs> oh hello angels oh, thank you yes usa. Usa. <laughs> so what's in the bag Beth
1: well we received another beautiful voicemail from Jasmine so Ooh. we're gonna go ahead and play that right now
0: hello Wendy and Beth this is Jasmine black female here from San Jose California Pew, pew, pew. I'm absolutely addicted to your podcast. I think um, your stories and your content that you guys have is, are great, and I have recommended it to all my family and friends, of course. I've listened for a couple months now, and I've become a super fan. That's the Last is so contagious, and Wendy, your personality keeps me coming back. Um, I wish you guys all the best, and thank you so much for creating a space in true crime that I did not know we needed
1: all right thank you jasmine for your voicemail and your kind words and we wish you all the best absolutely and don't forget jasmine this is for you Thanks, Jasmine. (laughs) And we want to thank all the folks who've come over from My Favorite Murder and Jensen and Holes. We've been getting a lot of really awesome messages and emails from people, some of whom have been helped by our How Not to Get Murdered tips. Mm. And we are just overwhelmed and so happy that we were able to help people. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, Wendy, but I've been moved to tears a couple of times reading the stories.
0: Yeah oh yes uh yeah. cue the waterworks you guys yeah. <laughs> Woo.
1: thank you all so much for listening and we are so glad we were able to help you and that you made it through mm-hmm. and uh i wanted to mention one letter a woman was sexually assaulted and she used our tip to try to get the attacker to humanize her big props to you absolutely uh, for, hip-hop air for horns. surviving <laughs> yeah you know who you are boo yep The police officer who responded to the call was uh, basically a dick bag Mm -hmm. and he victim shamed and blamed her. And that's total bullshit. Mm -hmm. If you are a police officer and listening to this, please knock that shit off. Hey, if you are someone who has survived an assault and been victim shamed, don't listen to those people. You are not at fault. It doesn't matter what you did or what you wore or what you said. Absolutely. The only person who is at fault is the person who chose to attack you. And Ooh. we're so proud of you for getting through it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, man, I just can't uh, say enough to that one particular listener um, yeah. who Um, shared uh, that truth with us. Um, Yeah, that one did move me to tears. I kind of wasn't sure what to do with myself after uh, (laughs) we got that one.
1: Um, But yeah,
0: no, we are just grateful for all of you. So shout out to all the Fruities out there and (laughs) We got some new patrons. All right. Yeah. Lisa C, Justin G. I'm not trying to get your government names out here on blast on Front Street. And uh, one Podbean patron, Britta T. So, or Britta P, excuse me. Um, So, here are your tunes, uh, you lovely cats and kittens. So, for Lisa, (laughs) hey, Lisa. Could I get a date on Friday? And if you're busy, I wanted my ticket Saturday. Ay, 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 ay. Roll with the posse fruit loose coming around the
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a Fuji fan, Beth? Is that one of your favorite tunes? Uh, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that one. Sorry.
0: Oh, no problem. No problem. <laughs> my uh, my ivory queen. Um, <laughs> uh, this next one is for you, Justin Boo. OK, I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. Them other boys don't know how to act. Yeah. I think it's special what's behind your back. Yeah. So turn around and I'll pick up the slack. Yeah. Take him to the bridge. Fruit Loops. <laughs> Justin's listening to Fruit Loops. I don't know. I <laughs> That that one I am familiar with. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> and uh, Britta, this one is for you. Oh, I need the dollars. Cha-ching. Beat it up like piñatas. Hey, hey, tell the driver, close the curtains. Ooh, ooh. Bad bitch, make him nervous. brita peek <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, got uh, so those are your tunes y'all I hope you love job. them thank you for supporting our show and big ups to you yeah thank you Fruit Loops fam alright now we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back
1: check out the murderific true crime podcast hosted by Bernadette from the state of Maine topics will include some seriously true scary stories about serial killers mass murderers family sides, the missing and unsolved cases. Go to www.murderific.com to start listening now or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until then, we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time.
0: And we're back. Um, remind us, Beth, who are we talking about again?
1: We're talking about David Stephen Middleton, an ex cop turned serial killer. Ooh, okay. Well, let's get into some stats, y'all. Hold your horses.
0: <laughs> okay. David Middleton, aka Big Dave, uh, was born on June 25th, 1961, in Boston, Massachusetts. He had several occupations, including police officer and cable guy. He was a black man who who stood six foot two and uh, was a heavyset imposing figure. Before he murdered anyone, he had several rapes, including a 16-year-old girl named Alicia Corey, two murder victims. Selma Davila was 42. She was an employee at Circus Circus. Catherine Powell was 45, an en- elementary school teacher and Um, possibly Buffy Rice Donahoe, who was 18. His crimes took place in Miami, Florida, Montrose, California, California, no, Colorado, uh, and Reno, Nevada from 1989 to 1995. His methods for murder were blunt force trauma, strangulation, and torture. His weapons were ropes, his bare hands, knives, and whips for torture. And we should mention that he did not commit all of this Alone, all of the fuckery he did not do on his own. He had the help of his partner, Yvonne Haley, and he was arrested on February 23rd, 1995. He was convicted of murder on August 26th, 1997, and sentenced to death. And now he's living at Eli State Prison in Nevada on death row. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth.
1: Well, we have a few settings on this one since Middleton lived in a few different places, but we're going to talk about Boston, Massachusetts, where he was born. Okay. Boston is the largest city in New England and is located on a hilly peninsula in Massachusetts Bay. The region had been inhabited since at least 2400 BC by the Massachusetts tribe of Native Americans.
0: Um, Captain John Smith, uh, ever heard of him, in 1614 explored the coastline of what he christened New England to make the area sound more attractive to settlers. Within a few years, more than half the Native Americans in the region had
1: died of smallpox introduced by European explorers. Puritans left England in 1630, settling in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which then soon merged with the Pilgrims Plymouth Colony. The settlement was named Boston, after the town in Lincolnshire, England, from which many of the Puritans originated.
0: Boston's Puritans weren't very tolerant. Nope. The, quote, (laughs) crime, end quote, of being a Quaker was punishable by imprisonment or death. Celebrating Christmas was banned. Boo. Oh, yeah. Uh, And in 1643, Three, the city welcomed the first slave ship into Boston Harbor. Double huh. boo. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, not a <laughs> cause for celebration by no, any means.
1: They were not uh, friendly people. <laughs> <Mm-mm>, no. <laughs> not good people. I heard what y'all did with that tea. <laughs> Many of the key events of the Revolutionary War occurred in or near Boston. The Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, the Battles of Lexington and Concord, Paul Revere's Ride, and the Battle of Bunker Hill. And the British finally evacuated the city in 1776.
0: Boston continued to grow in the 1800s, and although slavery was not technically abolished until the 13th Amendment passed, after a series of court cases during the years 1781 and 1783, which directly challenged the existence of slavery in Massachusetts, slavery gradually ended in the state. And by 1790, the federal census recorded no slaves in Massachusetts.
1: The racial climate in Boston during the first half of the 19th century was more tolerant than in many other cities and states in the North at time. That time but that doesn't mean that there wasn't prejudice and discrimination against black people there was it was the norm right and we should also say there was all, discrimination
0: about against anybody who wasn't white white um yeah because although most of the native americans had are not most but they had been um fallen ill because of um diseases pushed that pushed out or pushed yeah. out yeah um anybody who was uh, not white was not treated very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was reflected in economic and social conditions. Black people were segregated in a few highly concentrated areas of the city. They held the worst jobs and the lowest pay, and their children were isolated in poor quality schools.
1: But the Black community of 19th century Boston led the city and the nation in the fight against slavery and injustice. The people there worked to better the rights of all Black people. Together with their allies, they were leaders in the abolition movement, the Underground Railroad, the Civil War, and the early struggle for equal rights and education.
0: Mm, middle and working class free black people lived in beacon hill and west end, the west end after the civil war the west end continued to be an important center of black culture it was one of the few locations in the united states at the time where black people had a political voice at least one black resident from the west end sat on boston's community council during every year between 1876 and 1895 that's wow pretty good
1: yeah By the early to mid-20th century, Boston went into decline as factories became old and obsolete and businesses moved out of the region for cheaper labor elsewhere. Boston then initiated various urban renewal projects. In 1958, the Boston Redevelopment Authority, or BRA, initiated a project to improve the historic West End, where a lot of Black people then lived. Extensive demolition was met with strong public opposition, and thousands of families were displaced. It's just the same story over and over again. Isn't yeah, it?
0: it's all about the dollar. Uh, yeah. Boston has experienced gentrification in the latter half of the 20th century, with housing prices increasing sharply since the 1990s. Living expenses have risen. Boston has one of the highest costs of living in the United States. Did not know that.
1: In 2017, Boston was approximately 44 percent white. 23 percent black, 10 percent Asian, 20 percent Latinx of any race and 0.8 percent Native American. Mm. If you ever find yourself in Boston, the Black Heritage Trail is a 1.6 mile walking tour that explores the history of Boston's 19th century black community. Mm, add it to the list of yeah, places definitely. to go.
0: Also, interesting how it was 100% Native American uh, yeah. in 1614 and then cut now to 2017.8. Eight. Yeah. That is. Uh, shameful. Um, the, now we're going to get into Middleton's early life. So David Stephen Middleton was born in Boston, as we said, on uh, June 25th, 1961. His father was a police officer at Tufts University. His mother was a stay at home mom and the family lived in Tewksbury, a suburb
1: of Boston. And he had at least one sister. When he was 11, his parents divorced. At age 13, David's mother remarried, and he gained a stepsister and stepbrother. He attended Boston Tech High, a school for academically superior students. After graduating, he attended Suffolk University, where he had a full ride scholarship, but then transferred to University of Massachusetts after a year. And then he dropped out in 1981. So then in 1980. So
0: before he dropped out at the age of Uh 18, he was hired as a police cadet by the Boston Police Department. This was a non-sworn position, but considered a prerequisite. prerequisite, excuse my English, to becoming a Boston police officer. Police cadets perform clerical duties and run errands. David was also attending college at this time.
1: So he's working pretty hard. Yeah. 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 A Boston PD lieutenant who came up with David on the police force said that David had a macabre fascination with the Boston Strangler case, and he would use his father's police connections to research the case. I'm not familiar with the Boston
0: Strangler case, but but okay. Uh, also, <laughs> in 1980, David married Julia Tina Heredia or Heridia, his high school sweetheart. And in 1982, David resigned from the Boston Police Force and moved to Miami with his wife to join the Miami Metro Dade Police. During his first year there, he earned a series of commendations and was promoted to detective in the Warrants Bureau.
1: So on the surface, he appeared to be a caring husband and a model cop. But at night, he started frequenting nightclubs where in the 80s in Miami, drugs were plentiful. Mm. Unfortunately, Middleton immersed himself in that scene.
0: Well, it would be hard not to do. Uh, One thing you never hear Black people say is, I wish I was born in a different decade, like the 70s or 80s. And I don't. But the idea of like titties and cocaine and like liquor flowing and like music thumping does sound nice. Um, I'm just saying. Timeline. Now we're going to get into the timeline. Uh, Middleton and Tina had two children, a boy and a girl. In 1987, Middleton's mother died of cancer. And according to his wife, Tina, that was when he began to decline. He cut off all associations with his stepfather and step siblings, and he started drinking
1: heavily. Per Tina, he became sexually aggressive towards her and other women. Middleton started having problems with tardiness and unexplained absences from work during this time. He also started picking up sex workers while in uniform Mm. and telling them he would arrest them unless they performed sexual favors for him.
0: Big no-no, but also Mm
1: -hmm. not Not unheard unheard of. of. Yeah. Uh, Jinx! Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I wish we could say something together that wasn't so horrible. (laughs) I know.
0: That was was really cool, though. Um, Yeah was cool we've never done it before so uh, maybe that means this episodes very special uh there was also an internal affairs investigation opened regarding some fraudulent letters he'd written in support of two criminals who had been arrested one was his drug dealer and the other was a woman he'd been having an affair with he basically got a slap on the wrist in that he was suspended for a short time and rode desk duty for a while but then returned to the warrants division do better police department Apartments.
1: Yeah. At some point, he met Yvonne Haley, who worked as a topless dancer at a nightclub that he frequented. They began an affair, and the two shared an interest in sadomasochism. According to a Miami prosecutor who described Middleton as cocky and smug, Mm. later when Middleton was being prosecuted in Miami, a tape was found of Middleton having sex with women, some of whom were in handcuffs and were obviously in pain, and it was her belief that Haley shot some of it. She also believed that Haley procured women for him, but she could never prove it. Wow. That
0: is some juicy stuff. I wasn't aware
1: there was tapes. Yes, there were tapes.
0: Excuse me, Beth. I have to ask, uh, where are they? (laughs) (laughs)
1: That I don't know. Okay. I I imagine in the
0: police department. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, I just uh, wonder why I didn't come across any on my (laughs) research. Not that I want to see people in pain or anything. I just, I think it's really fascinating to me, like the psychology and stuff. But when there's tapes of these criminals engaging in really terrible acts, I just wonder what made them think that they wouldn't contribute to their undoing at some point you know what i'm saying yeah i Uh, do in 1989 middleton coaxed a woman who worked with the miami-dade police station as a secretary to have sex with him she practiced santeria and he claimed that he was a santerian priest who could cure her problems if she had sex with him she did have sex with him consensually but when he wanted to handcuff her, she tried to leave, and he knocked her unconscious. He then raped her. She reported the incident to police, but they didn't believe her.
1: Mm. On September 28, 1990, Middleton pulled up to a gas station in an unmarked car, but still in his police uniform. A 16-year-old girl named Alicia Corey was standing outside waiting for a ride.
0: Middleton told Alicia that she was out after curfew and forced her into his car. Middleton told her he was taking her to Juvenile Hospital hall, but instead he drove her out to the country. He raped her in the back of the car. Afterwards, he drove her home and Alicia reported the rape a few days later.
1: When police went to arrest him on October 12th, Middleton had fled. One month later, on November 18th, Middleton was arrested in Greenville, Mississippi, where he'd been laying low with Yvonne Haley and her two children. Mm. And on December 12th, instead of being fired, Middleton was allowed to resign uh, from the what? Miami Metro-Dade Police Department. Record
0: yeah. scratch. Uh, yeah. Pause. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: seriously? Yeah. Yeah, he was not fired. He was allowed to resign. Wow. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Okay, I'm. Whew, my head just spun around in circles. On uh, June 19th, 1991, Middleton was found guilty of false imprisonment. The jury was deadlocked on the rape charge because they were there was no physical evidence. Um, ugh, okay, he got five <laughs> years. But I was just going to say, like, it's just really unfortunate that rape I is know. such a hard crime to prove. Um, I know. Uh, He got five years but was released from prison after serving two years of his five-year sentence. Middleton's wife, Tina, divorced him while he was in prison. He gave up his parental rights, never paid child support, and showed no interest in his children.
1: After his release in June of 1993, Middleton moved to Montrose, Colorado, to be with Yvonne Haley, who had moved there to be closer to her family. Montrose sits on high grasslands in the Uncompadre Valley in Colorado. Due to its proximity to many outdoor recreation activities, Montrose is known as a manufacturing hub for outdoor products.
0: Oh, many fly fishing companies are headquartered there. Gordon Composites, a company that makes laminate material used in the bow hunting industry, is also located there. And the Colorado Yurt Company, maker of handcrafted yurts. And <laughs> sounds very,
1: very white. Yeah, but. <laughs> uh, So yurts are those teeny tiny houses? They're not tiny houses. They're like tents. They're like round tents, sort of. I thought they were small, mini,
0: like, houses that people buy and they live in the country on, like, big plots of land.
1: Google it. Are you sure? Uh, No. uh, Yeah, yurt is almost like a tent. Yeah. It's like a round tent.
0: I believe you, Beth, but... (laughs) I have to look this up for myself. Okay. Okay. It is a
1: tiny house. But it's a round tent. But round. Okay. You've won this round, Beth Williams. (laughs) Well, I mean, people do live in them. So, I mean, it is technically a house. So we both win.
0: Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, anyway sounds sounds very white to me absolutely (laughs) i always think of yurts as like people who doing yoga and i don't know uh, oh burning sage and ayahuasca new agey stuff like crystals and whatnot you know yeah
0: um so you're (laughs) saying uh you're you're yurting this thursday is that
1: yes (laughs) of course of course So in 1993, Buffy Rice Donahue, 18, worked with Yvonne Haley at a local Sizzlers in Montrose. Mm. Buffy had recently married her high school sweetheart, Mason Donahue. Buffy and Mason were living with Buffy's parents while the couple saved up money to move out. Yvonne Haley was living with David Middleton, and the couple sometimes socialized outside of work. Middleton told people he was an ex-cop who had to get out of Miami after going undercover in a prison.
0: Wow. What a story. (laughs) Oh my God. And And, and
1: everybody believed him. Really? Yeah. I guess he was pretty good at, at, uh, he was a good storyteller.
0: Wow. That is amazing. That is Mm -hmm. a hell of a lie. Uh, Anyway, uh, Bonnie Rice had never liked Middleton and Haley and was skeptical about why they would want to hang out with an 18 year old girl. Mm, Yes. Good question. At some point, Buffy admitted to her father and husband that she had tried cocaine and that Middleton had supplied her with it, but that he scared her and she didn't want to hang out with him anymore. Walt Rice contacted the police about Middleton possibly being in possession of cocaine.
1: Good move, Dad. On Sunday afternoon, November 21st, 1993, four days before Thanksgiving, Buffy, Mason and Buffy's parents, Walt and Bonnie Rice, were getting ready to watch a football game. Buffy left to get her car washed and ran down to the grocery store to pick up a few things. Several hours later, she had not returned home yet, and her family began to worry. Mason went looking for her at about 7.30 p.m. and found her vehicle in the Walmart parking lot with
0: her wallet still inside. Walt and Mason then went to Middleton's apartment looking for her. Neither Haley nor Middleton were at home, and the Mazda was gone. Haley's 12-year-old daughter, Natasha, told them that Buffy had been there, but that Middleton had left to drive her home.
1: The Rices and Mason then filed a missing persons report. But because Walt had complained about Middleton supplying Buffy with cocaine, the police did not take it very seriously. They thought of her as a drug user who probably just ran away on her own. I'm telling you, um, the Montrose cops were garbage.
0: I just yeah, I can't think of any other word to describe it. Thank you, Ben
1: took the You're words
0: welcome. right out of my my mouth. <laughs> Look at this OG of true crime. She's coming through every time, as I said. Uh, three women remembered seeing Buffy at the Walmart the day she vanished. They reported seeing her get into a red Mazda car with a blonde woman. Middleton owned a red Mazda and it is suspected that Yvonne Haley had picked up Buffy Rice from the parking lot and took her to the apartment she shared with Middleton.
1: The next day, a friend of Buffy's who worked at a convenience store across the street from Middleton and Haley's apartment said that she'd seen middleton and Haley around midnight putting garbage bags into his car one of which was big enough and heavy enough that middleton struggled with it she actually called the police and was told by a dispatcher that they were not taking calls on that case for 24 hours what
0: yeah actual
1: fuck that i know Wow, Shucked up.
0: Yeah. my face is brown because I'm very highly mel- melanated, but it just turned white because I <laughs> am shocked. I am yeah. in shock. Wow. Yeah, like
1: I said, garbage.
0: Uh, Bonnie Rice was convinced that Middleton had something to do with Buffy's disappearance, and on November 23rd, police went to Middleton's apartment to question
1: him, but nothing came of it. Bonnie then went to Middleton's apartment herself and banged on the door. Middleton answered the door with a shotgun, and police were called. Bonnie was trespassed from the property, and Middleton was not arrested for possessing a firearm, even though he was a felon, so he was not allowed to own guns.
0: Um, I... I, this, this just the fuckery continues. Just keeps going on. Yeah. uh, When will it stop? I don't know. Uh, There was an animosity between Montrose police and the Rices. The former apparently believing that Buffy was a drug user who just ran away on her own accord. That's some lazy ass police work. And the latter believing that the police bungled and continued to bungle the investigation. Well, I'm on their
1: side. Yeah. I'm with the Rices on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And in April of 1994, Middleton and Haley moved to Sparks, Nevada, just outside of Reno. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up but not anymore. I
0: know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children.
1: What are you thinking?
0: What a mess.
1: U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians
0: in cold blood.
1: And at the center of it all
0: is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick.
1: And me, Murder in House Two, a new podcast from Crowd Network. American Vigilante, now. From DNA testing
0: to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.
1: Reno is located along the Nevada-California border, about 22 miles from Lake Tahoe. Reno, of course, is known for its casinos.
0: Mm, I do enjoy Reno. Uh, The people that inhabited the Great Basin prior to the European invasion were the Numa or Numu, Northern Paiute, and the Washishu, uh, Washo, the Nui or Shoshone, and the Nuuuvi, uh, or the Southern Paiute. All the names meant the people in their respective languages.
1: The state of Nevada legalized open gambling on March 19, 1931. And within a few years, the bank club in Reno was the state's largest employer and the largest casino in the world. Wow. And gambling continued as a major Reno industry. In the 1940s, Reno was the divorce capital of the world due to their liberal divorce laws. Interesting how people go to Vegas to get married and then Reno to get
0: to, divorced. to get divorced <laughs> uh, so in the meantime Las Vegas was so segregated in the mid 20th century that it carried the moniker the Mississippi of the West ooh and like Vegas most hotels and restaurants in Carson City and Reno also refused
1: service to black people at that time mm. when Middleton moved to Sparks in 1994 he found a job working as a television cable installer for the TCI cable company in June of that year Middleton rented a storage unit at Sierra Royal mini storage in Sparks, Nevada under a fake business name. Hmm.
0: A year later on August 8th, 1994, Circus Circus Reno employee Thelma Davila was 42, disappeared from the apartment that she shared with her sister, Dora Valverde in Sparks. In July, Middleton had assisted in a cable installation at the apartment complex that Thelma Davila lived in. Around the same time, Middleton had requested an
1: upgrade for his storage unit. He said he needed more room. Thelma was an immigrant from Guatemala and she had grown up in poverty. When she came to the United States, one of the first things she did was buy a TV and have cable installed because mm. she never had that kind of luxury in Guatemala. Her cable TV provider was TCI Cable.
0: Oh, man um right you like you do all the steps to get here and then yeah it just doesn't um dora valverde last saw her sister around 8 a.m and on monday august 8th 1994 when dora left for work thelma was sleeping on the couch in the living room when dora returned to the apartment that evening the door was not locked and a plant by the couch had been knocked on the floor and on wednesday august 10th 1994 dora reported her sister missing
1: Then on the evening of February 3rd, 1995, another woman disappeared. Kathy Powell was 45 years old, divorced and living alone in Reno. She had a PhD in psychology and taught third grade at Sun Valley Elementary School. Powell had a ski trip with a friend planned for Saturday morning, but she failed to show. She had last been seen Friday the 3rd at about 3 p.m. when she left school for the day.
0: On February 4th, Middleton visited his storage unit six times, six times, 1237 a.m., 547 a.m., 649 a.m., 845 a.m., 1153 a.m., and 538 p.m. Then on February 5th, Middleton visited his storage unit three more times at 619 a.m., 11
1: a.m. and 3.30 p.m. Various friends attempted to contact Kathy over the weekend, and then she failed to appear at work on Monday, February 6, although she was known to be extremely reliable. Mm. The principal of the school was so concerned that he called the police, and the school custodian, who was also a friend of Kathy's, met the police at her home.
0: The doors were locked, so they looked in the windows but saw no sign of a struggle. They did notice an attempted service tag from TCI cable on the door. The tag said the repairman had been there at 1.30 p.m. but did not list a date. The police officer sergeant denied his request to enter the home. Ugh.
1: Yeah. Then uh, Kathy did not show up for work again the next day, so police were contacted again to file a missing persons report. The same officer that went to Kathy's house the day before took the report and went with another school employee to Kathy's home. They again looked through a window, but everything looked the same as it did the day before.
0: The officer sergeant was contacted again, and this time they were allowed to force entry into the home. Catherine's car was still in the garage, but the school employee who had been to Kathy's house before noticed that some things were missing and that Kathy's purse was in her bedroom. Something she would not have left the house without.
1: The same day, Kathy Powell's credit card was used to purchase a $1,900 stereo system from the Good Guys electronics store. You remember that place? I do. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> A woman picked the stereo up and it was loaded into the back of an early 1970s red international harvester with Colorado license plates. Middleton visited his storage unit two times that day at 9.26 a.m. and at 3.15 p.m.
0: On February 7th, Kathy Powell was officially listed as a missing person and police obtained a search warrant to go to her home. She was not there and many home appliances were missing. Middleton did not visit his storage unit that day. By the then Kathy Powell was probably dead.
1: On February 8th, Middleton visited his storage unit one time at 6.49 p.m. It's assumed that he used this visit to prepare Kathy's body for disposal. And on the 10th, he visited the storage unit one more time at 7.45 p.m. It's assumed that he used this visit to finish preparing Kathy's body for disposal.
0: On February 11th, Middleton visited his unit at 7.26 p.m. There was video available on this visit. He was seen loading a large, cumbersome package into the rear of his 1970s International Harvester pickup truck. It looked like a body in a sleeping bag wrapped with rope. He used the rope like handles to carry the body.
1: And at around 9.30 p.m. the same night, a woman's body was found in a trash dumpster at a Reno apartment complex by a man looking for aluminum cans. The body was wrapped in garbage bags, then sewn into a sleeping bag, then wrapped in a large yellow plastic bag and tied with rope. Wow. Yeah. That's extensive. It is. The police had never seen a garbage bag like the yellow bag that she was wrapped in, which was much larger than a standard garbage bag or leaf bag.
0: Kathy's body was bound by rope and was naked, aside from a black tank top which was pulled up around her neck and blue socks. The way in which the rope was tied from her ankles and then around her neck would have caused the rope to tighten if she moved her legs too much. The body also exhibited bruises, particularly on the elbows and knees, which were incurred prior to her death. There was a bite mark on her left breast and a semen stain was found on her right thigh.
1: Powell had likely been dead for at least two days. There were blue fibers and traces of aluminum found on her neck. The body was later identified from fingerprints as that of Katherine Powell. The cause of death was undetermined.
0: Whew. Well, now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Um, two of Powell's neighbors noticed an older model pickup truck parked in front of Powell's home early in the morning on Saturday, February 5th. One noticed that the pickup was loaded with household items, quote unquote, and had out of state plates though they did not notice which state. A third neighbor noticed that on Wednesday, February 1st, a TCI cable truck was parked in front of Powell's home.
1: On February 12th, Middleton visited his storage unit at 12.53 a.m. There was video available for this entry. He was seen pulling in at 12.53 a.m. and did not leave his storage unit until 2.05 a.m., so about an hour. Mm. He was accompanied by a woman during this visit, someone who looked like Yvonne Haley, but the video was not good enough to tell for sure. It is thought that he spent this visit cleaning up the unit with bleach.
0: Detective David Jen- Jenkins determined that the brand of yellow plastic bag covering the sleeping bag which held Powell's body, which was called a Warp Brothers banana bag, was sold at only two hardware stores in Reno. Only one store, commercial hardware in downtown Reno, had recently sold the yellow bags. A cash purchase on February 8th, along with a box of 33-gallon garbage bags, uh, the yellow bags and the 33-gallon garbage bags exactly matched the bags Kathy had been wrapped in.
1: Detectives also learned of the stereo purchase from the good Guys store the stereo had been purchased over the phone and the caller said it was a gift and a courier would pick it up the person who took the call said that they were almost certain that the voice was male trying to sound female but reno had a large transsexual population so they really didn't think much of it
0: Mm. a blonde woman wearing a yellow windbreaker with a logo on it came in to pick up the stereo as the courier they did not recall that what the logo on her jacket said something quote messenger end quote however they did remember that the truck that the equipment was loaded into was a red 70s international harvester there it is again because the guy who loaded it had the same truck. Police called every courier service in Reno with the word messenger in their name, and none of them used a 70s International Harvester for pickups and deliveries.
1: Patrol officers were asked to keep an eye out for a red 70s International Harvester truck. And on February 22nd, a patrol officer located one in the parking lot of TCI Cable. The truck matched the description witnesses had given. A missing tailgate and plywood in the bed of the truck with out-of-state license plates. And of course, police recalled the TCI tag left on Kathy's door.
0: Okay okay, guys, we're getting somewhere. Uh, (laughs) The plates were run and police determined that the truck belonged to a David Middleton and that this was the same TCI technician who had made a service call at Kathy's condo. Police also learned that Middleton was an ex-cop who had been allowed to resign after he had been arrested for sexual assault.
1: And on February 23rd, 1995, police obtained and executed a search warrant for Middleton's truck and apartment, but only for evidence for the crime in the good guy's case. I, I think maybe because that's where they had the most evidence, but I'm not really sure. Okay. During questioning, Middleton was asked about his TCI call to Kathy Powell's house, which he admitted to. However, he denied ordering the stereo equipment or having Haley pick it up. And although police noticed a key on his key ring that looked like it went to a storage unit. He also denied having a storage unit.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, Middleton mentioned that he used to be a cop and that he wanted to help in any way he could because he was one of them. But when, when he was asked to supply fingerprints and blood for DNA, he said he would need to consult an attorney. But police were able to get his fingerprints because he should have registered as a convicted person when he moved to Nevada. The police then let him go, hoping he would lead them to a storage unit.
1: Meanwhile, Haley was arrested at the apartment for being under the influence of methamphetamine, and police got an updated search warrant, this time looking for evidence on Kathy Powell's murder. A shotgun was found in the apartment, allowing police to arrest Middleton as a felon in possession of a firearm. Good job. Mm, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else of evidentiary value was found, which confirmed police's suspicion that Middleton had a storage unit somewhere.
0: On March 1st. First, Middleton attempted to improvise a deal with the D.A. for a lesser sentence if he provided information on Kathy Powell's credit card, grand larceny and unlawful disposal of human remains. Thanks, but no thanks. He was (laughs) not granted a deal. On March 2nd, a
1: third interview was conducted with Middleton that lasted nine hours. He confessed only to having consensual sex with Kathy Powell and claimed she died while he was off at the store buying vodka for the two of them huh he admitted to disposing of her body after she died by tying herself in rope and strangling herself while he was gone huh or maybe someone else killed her because he did leave the door unlocked Wow uh <laughs> his
0: his I don't know if there's a contest for like worse (laughs) lies, right? But this guy is a gold medalist in terms of fabrication. Uh, Police had put out a press release asking for any information about a possible storage unit belonging to Middleton and a postal worker who delivered mail to Middleton and Haley called police with a tip. The postal worker told police that he often delivered mail to their address, addressed to the business name Hull Data and they should look for a storage unit registered under that name.
1: And police located the storage unit, uh, which was listed under the business name Haldata and they obtained a search warrant. The unit was searched on March 5th, 1995. In it, they found evidence in the good guy's case, a yellow windbreaker with the word Sunshine State Messenger Service on it, and the stereo that was bought with Kathy Powell's credit card. I was just going to say,
0: um, shout out to the postal worker. Shout out yeah. to the, the U.S. Postal Service, like, period. <laughs> um, I just think they are remarkable organization and i'm so glad they are i'm just so grateful for them uh especially in this case uh also found in the unit was a bag of warped brothers banana bags with one bag missing and garbage bags that match those found on kathy powell's head plus receipts for the purchase of those bags and for the stereobotic good guys plus kathy powell's property that had been taken from her house plus uh uh-oh you guys are fucked (laughs)
1: But they also found ropes, a gag, restraining devices, whips, and a refrigerator lying on its back with holes drilled through the sides. Blue fibers, the same that had been found on Kathy Powell's neck, were later recovered from inside the refrigerator, which had been modified with a half circle cut into the freezer area. And to the cops, it looked like a person could be held captive in it with the person's head in the freezer area.
0: Oh, my god
1: yeah this
0: is so wild so Fucked wild up. yeah uh but so wild i feel like if this was in a movie i'd be like that would never happen." that come on yeah. guys come on netflix give me yeah, something more realistic yeah
1: yeah. holy no this guacamole. really holy.
0: Wow. Okay, so Middleton had run a series of ropes and pulleys throughout the unit, and there was a clasp hook attached to the end of the rope and human restraining devices on the floor by the hook. Forensic texts found hair and traces of human skin in the devices. They also found blood and saliva on sex toys. It was clear to police that Middleton had set up a torture chamber in the storage unit.
1: On April 9th, 1995, about two months after the discovery of Powell's body, a man walking with his dog in a secluded area near Verdi, found a human skull and other skeletal remains and notified police. Investigators noted a lot of animal activity in trash bags, bones, and bone fragments, quote, strewn several hundred yards, end quote. Wow. Um, I got to say, though,
0: one of my things on my bucket list is to come across a body, not of anybody I know, But, you you know, yeah, you know, that scene in Law and Order, it's always the first scene. Somebody's going for a job. Somebody finds (laughs) finds a body. Yeah. Oh, no. Look over (laughs) there in the bushes, Sally. (laughs) Call 911. (laughs) Hang on, Wendy. I, you know, and then uh, and then I call nine one one and like save the day. I don't know. In my head that it's it's a it's a fantasy of mine. Anyway, I'm a sick fuck. I've already admitted it. You can put yeah. <laughs> out the podcast if this if me is too much for you. Anyway, a matted hairpiece was found with rope in it. The rope was the same diameter as the rope found with Powell's body. A dental bridge in the skull led to the identification of the remains of those of Thelma Davila. Cause of death was unable to be determined because of the state of the body.
1: On May 17, 1995, Middleton pled guilty to felony possession of a firearm, and he was given a year in jail. Then on May 24th, another hiker discovered a skull near Norwood, Colorado, and contacted authorities. Investigators located more bones in a field, along with two plastic trash bags and pieces of rope, one of which was still attached to a leg bone. Knots in the rope were similar to ones Middleton had used in restraining the women he murdered in Nevada. The body was
0: identified as that of Buffy Rice Donahue. The cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma, and it was officially listed as a homicide. Duct tape wrapped around her head and mouth had been used
1: as a gag. Teeth marks and tearing found on the gag showed that Buffy had been alive for some time while gagged. Some hairs and carpet fibers were found inside the bag that Buffy was found in. The hair samples matched Middleton, and carpet fibers matched the inside of Haley's car.
0: How terrifying that must have been for Buffy.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But the DA in Montrose decided that no charges would be pressed against Middleton in the Buffy Rice Donahue case because of the cost of extraditing him back to Colorado. Garbage. It, garbage, trash. Of all, uh, ugh, I just can't with you guys. Montrose. Uh, they decided to wait to see what would happen with the two murder charges in Nevada.
1: On June 7th, 1995, Middleton was interviewed by Reno police again. This time, he admitted to taking a woman to his storage unit for sex, but still denied murdering anyone. Middleton also said he had been to Davila's apartment complex, but that he did not know her. Reno investigators went to Miami, Florida to investigate
0: Middleton's past there. Police conducted interviews with seven of Middleton's old co workers at the police station. All reported Middleton as a sexual deviant, many reporting that he'd shown them his sex tapes. No Uh, One of them, this is in the 90s, right before sexual harassment.
1: Uh,
0: You can't do that anymore in 2020. Uh, One of them reported knowing that Middleton had sex with the 16 year old because he admitted to it, although Middleton reported that it was consensual with a 16 year old it's not consensual. 16 year olds can't give consent. Yeah. Also, um so my introduction to Reno before I I had family there was Reno 911 the show, oh, which was
1: I remember which that was show. so that was funny. funny, right? And you it just was. assumed
0: that Reno was like this big <laughs> joke of a town, right? <laughs> but these police are really doing the work yeah, in Reno.
1: The Reno police did a good job. Montrose mm-hmm. not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. DNA analysis was also performed on various pieces of evidence. Cellular material was obtained from a foam ball used as a gag found in the storage unit. DNA analysis showed that it matched Kathy Powell's DNA. The roots of various hairs found in the storage unit were also tested and matched Powell's DNA.
0: The DNA from one hair found on duct tape and one hair from another blanket matched Davila's DNA. DNA obtained from a semen stain on the right thigh of Powell was consistent with Middleton's DNA. The DA decided that they had enough evidence to
1: press charges, and on June 22, 1995, arrest warrants were made. A witness subpoena was sent to Haley. When detectives came to serve the subpoena, they also found Haley's daughter cutting her wrists and had to call an ambulance. Haley had sent her 10-year-old son back to Colorado to live with her parents. What? A twist. Uh, Oh, my God. So, Um, you know, not only did they um, ruin the lives of the families of the victims, but they also ruined Haley's children's lives as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And Middleton had
0: offspring too, right? So yeah. um wow, just a big, a huge ripple effect of negative consequences for yes. um, so many people. Um, now we're going to get into the trial. Middleton's six-week murder trial began on August 15th in 1997. At trial, the state offered expert testimony that based on the volume of the refrigerator and the size of the two holes drilled in it, a person weighing 145 pounds enclosed in the refrigerator would have died from oxygen deprivation
1: in about three and a half hours. The lack of pathological findings on Kathy Powell's body indicated that she probably died of asphyxiation. The bruises on her elbows and knees were consistent with struggles to free herself from a confined space, such as the refrigerator. Mm. On August 26, 1997, the
0: jury found Middleton guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of first-degree kidnapping, one count of grand larceny, and one count of fraudulent use of a credit card. And at a bench trial, the Next month, the district court found him guilty of two counts of an ex-felon in possession of a firearm. And so now we are going to get into
1: where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Middleton was never charged for the murder of Buffy Rice Donahue in Colorado. He is currently housed, as we said, in Eli State Prison in Nevada.
0: After Haley finished her prison term in Nevada for fraud convictions related to the good guy's case, she went to prison in Colorado for being an accessory to the murder of Buffy Rice Donahue. So although Middleton was never charged with Buffy's murder, Haley was charged as an accessory to her murder.
1: Haley, who was 42 at the time, pleaded guilty, and the plea agreement got her an 11 year prison sentence. According to Haley, on the day of her murder, Buffy had come to her wanting to buy cocaine. Haley said she took Buffy to her apartment where she lived with Middleton. She claimed that she smoked marijuana with Buffy in an attempt to divert her from trying to get cocaine, which I think is total bullshit. I think she was trying to make it look like, oh, I I was trying to stop her from doing drugs
0: yeah that's like uh put down that chainsaw let me give you a, a grenade instead yeah um, like yeah. they're both they're both uh it just seems um it's bullshit it's a terrible lie it is yeah. uh, and those two that analogy i used is also bullshit but that is just <laughs> <laughs> that i'm just it doesn't app it doesn't equate it doesn't add up make it make sense yeah uh Haley said Middleton and Buffy left the apartment together to find cocaine. Two hours later, she said, a distraught Middleton returned and told her he had accidentally killed Buffy. She said Middleton told her Buffy tried to run away from him with the cocaine they had been smoking, and when he caught her and slapped her, Buffy fell and hit
1: her head on a rock and died. Wow. Bullshit. Yeah. More (laughs) convenient lies. Yeah. Haley said Middleton begged her to keep the story secret because, quote, as a black man in a white town, unquote, no one would believe him. Haley said he also convinced her she would lose her daughter if she didn't keep quiet wow um i just don't know what to say oh yeah that
0: might be true that nobody would believe a a black man in a white town however when he actually did the crimes uh I just don't know, like, where where is the lie? (laughs) You did it. You did that shit, bro. Yeah. Uh,
1: And he also um, continued to to use uh, race as an excuse mm. of why he's he he still says he's innocent
0: no yeah. okay oh boy um well as we've said before on this show there are an estimated twenty thousand or more people behind bars for um false convictions yeah um but so it is now <laughs> one of them
1: <laughs> yeah so you know it it rings true a uh-huh. little bit mm-hmm. but with this guy no it's not true
0: nope Nope, nope. No, 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 no way. Uh, So Walt and Bonnie Rice, along with Buffy's husband, Mason Donahue, pleaded with the judge not to accept Haley's guilty plea. They called her statement about the part in Buffy's murder an outright lie, as yes. uh, Buffy's parents believe Haley is equally responsible for Donahue's death and expressed disappointment at the decision to file only accessory charges against Haley. Haley was paroled in 2003.
1: Yeah, so she's out there, guys.
0: Oh, my goodness gracious.
1: Yeah. Bonnie Rice started a victim's advocacy group in Montrose. Kathy Powell's mother sued TCI Cable because they did no background check when hiring Middleton, which is just a really bad idea. Oh, yeah. When these guys are going into people's houses. Absolutely. Retired Reno police sergeant Jeff Kay wrote a book about this case called Beware of the Cable Guy. And we use this book as a source for the story. And there's a lot, uh, there's actually a lot more to the story that we didn't have time to get into. So definitely check it out. If you want to take a deeper dive into the case, because it, it was a good book.
0: Yeah. Did you enjoy reading it, Beth? I did. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. The things you do for us
1: here at <laughs> fruit loops HQ. What
0: would we do without her you guys? Um, so now we're going to get into what we think made Middleton snap and our takeaways
1: hit it, Beth. Uh, so from reading that book by jeff k i got the idea that he and the cops in reno who were who worked the case thought that middleton was a psychopath oh. and that he lied easily and people believed him because he was good at it mm. we don't know exactly what causes psychopathy nature or nurture or combination thereof but it seems like he was at least functioning okay which mm-hmm. you know um People who have antisocial personality disorder, which is what people who are psychopaths have, mm-hmm. um, they can function in, in society okay. Uh-huh. Um, not all of them go around killing people. Right. And it seemed like he was doing okay until his mother died and mm-hmm. he started getting into drugs. And then he met Yvonne Haley. Mm-hmm. And the two of them together were like gasoline and fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, would he have done all this if he had not met Haley? Um, maybe. Mm probably actually, but it definitely did not help. Oh yeah. That's what I think. Okay. The cops in Reno thought that they were actually both psychopaths. Oh, and one of them commented that people think that Middleton made some really dumb mistakes, Mm -hmm. but, uh, this cop didn't think that they were mistakes so much as complacency oh and he was so used to doing whatever he wanted and committing crimes and not getting caught for it or just getting a slap on the wrist that he just didn't bother much trying to hide his crimes
0: yeah that's yeah
1: i'll i'll, I'll agreed yeah and then uh my last thought on this is i i feel really bad for the the kids Haley's kids and uh middleton's kids um I I just feel really bad for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have to second that. Um, Now, uh, this story is so meaty. There is so much to it. Like, I want to know more about Haley. Um, Right. Yeah. Like, what is her deal? What is her background? And how did she latch on to a guy like this? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm not here to kink shame. But based on... You know, his parents' divorce and the death of his mother. Um, maybe he felt a loss of control, lost his anchor. Um, his pursuit of a career in law enforcement was interesting to me because yeah. it seems like somebody who enjoys control and power and cops have the ultimate power. Right. So um, that's a thing. And he really took complete advantage of it and never got in trouble for really doing anything bad. Um, Yeah. And then cut to being a cable guy. There's an odd sense of power in that too, in that you can come to people's homes, you know, when you walk around their house, right. um, And uh, just sort of uh, invade people's space. So maybe there's a sense of control and power in that too. Um, The sex stuff was, um, An interesting uh, aspect of the case as well. Uh, I mean, the rape and the kidnapping and all that stuff and the whip and and, uh, the devices that he had. Like, I just I don't I don't know. I I don't know what is going on in this guy's head. He's (laughs) he. It's, I don't know what, to, I don't know what to say. I'm just without words. It's terrifying. This was, yeah. Uh, it's so many,
1: th- this case is just, I'm so glad we covered it because I'd never heard of this guy. Yeah. And um, when we initially looked him up, I was like, oh, I don't know if there's enough here. And then I found so much stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: It is just, uh, I really want there to be like a docu-series or a really oh, yeah. in-depth movie because there is so, you're there's right. There's here. so much we didn't even know. Yeah, so, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Get at we, us. Give we give it say it. Tip. We say it every time. <laughs> uh, just get us a corner office at next at Netflix, please. <laughs> My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer. And I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic. And now each week, I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed? is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast Carol Costello presents blind rage in 1984 a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight tortured and left to die in a burning car in Akron Ohio at the time I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story since then I've reported every kind of crime imaginable I've been able to leave most of them at work So anyway, let us know what you guys thought of the David Stephen Middleton case. Um, Now we're going to talk about how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Okay, so I put in these tips before
0: researching the episode. Oh, okay. researching the case so these this tip i found has nothing to do with this case
1: oh, okay uh, that's
0: fine okay so i was listening to strictly stalking and there was a girl who had been stalked on the internet and she got police involved and is pursuing the case and it's time consuming discouraging because she's asked to going through all these legal pr- uh, processes and it's taking time and She really doesn't have any recourse other than like a piece of paper that says this guy can't come near her,
1: (laughs) right? Um, And and he he can come near her and it'll be too late. It'll exactly. So
0: she decided she was afraid to get a gun, so she decided to go on Amazon and buy bear repellent or bear spray. Oh my gosh! Wow. So she keeps it by her bed, and I looked up the prices of bear spray. Like seven fifty to seventy five dollars. Oh it is so affordable. Yeah, and if you are like, oh, I don't know if I can get a gun. I don't know about a taser. That might seem too extreme. Eh, get get a can of bear get spray. Some
1: bear spray. Yeah, yeah. keep good it in idea. your keep
0: it in your car or keep it you know by your bed where you would keep again. Right. I yeah. I just really like that tip. Like that is that would give me peace of mind. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um. And uh, that's it for my tips. I was gonna get into okay. cybersecurity, but we don't need that. Just get bear spray. Yeah. Go to Amazon.
1: Good idea. <laughs> I just have a real quick tip for Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, just to uh, mention that the CDC's updated guidelines say that celebrating with people in your immediate household is the safest option for Thanksgiving this year. Mm. It also recommends a virtual celebration with friends and extended family instead of getting together. Mm. For those that do plan on hosting or attending a gathering, the CDC encourages people to stay six feet apart, avoid hugs and handshakes, wear masks, and wash hands frequently. The CDC says smaller outdoor gatherings are more more low risk, but if you are indoors, open the windows for extra ventilation. Dr. Megan Brown, an emergency medicine physician at Memorial Hospital, suggested bringing your own utensils, food, and single-serving packets of condiments like salad dressing. Oh, wow. If you plan on traveling for the holidays, plan ahead and be prepared and make sure to get your flu shot. So you're up to date on your vaccines.
0: Amen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Sure. Um, Now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any true crime goodies or any content content. Uh, about or by any othered or marginalized groups. So I don't have anything, Beth. What do you got?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it's been a a rough couple of weeks trying to watch or listen to anything. I uh-huh yeah say that so again because it's so true yeah yeah um i haven't had a lot of time to watch tv i have listened to some podcasts and i've i came across a, a episode of family secrets is the name of the podcast Ooh. the episode is titled girl planet and it's about a uh jennifer finney boylan who's a trans woman Uh and it's her story about how she hid her true self for 40 years before finally deciding to transition and i found it to be very touching and i i really recommend listening to that episode
0: oh i love that thank you for that shout out sure Oh, that's
1: all for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, uh, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website.
0: Well, that's all true. And this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America.